You are listening to Haftarah, the Shir series which explores the connections between the Parsha Ashavuah and its corresponding Haftarah. And here at the database with Rabbi Yeshua Eisenberg, this week's Parsha is Parsha Shemos, as we open up a brand new Sefer of Chumash, the very second Sefer in the Torah, keeping in mind that this is the beginning of the weeks of Shovavim, which on the one hand is an acronym which stands for Shmos Ve'era Bo B'Shalach Mishpatim, and yet on the other hand is a reference to a Pasuk in Yirmiya, who is actually one of two Nevi'im that we're going to be looking at this week on this rare edition of Half Torah, where we have a break in Mesorah, which suggests two different Nevi'im, two different Half Torahs that can be read this week. And before we get to them, I want to just make a reference to the Pasuk in Yirmiya, which is not necessarily from one of this week's Haftaras, but it is the Pasuk about Shovavim in the third parak of Yirmiya, which says, Shuvu Banim Shovavim. You rebels should return to Hashem. Shovavim is a topic that we devoted a whole shir to a couple of years ago on the Real Talk Torah series. And one basic idea of Shovavim that I think is relevant to us, especially at the beginning of Sefer Shemos, is just the idea that it's never too late to return to Hashem. And in the most basic level of our relationship with Hashem, our Torah learning, our Limud HaTorah, you might think that you dropped the ball in Sefer Bereshis, and maybe you weren't being Maver Sedra, or you weren't learning the Parsha in depth, or at least as well as you could have. Shemos reminds us that it's not too late. It's the second Sefer, and you can jump on the bandwagon right now. And I think there's no greater way than engaging in deeper levels of Limerah Torah. With so many sheer options out there, websites, podcasts, on Parsha and otherwise, there's really no excuse not to add some new Limud, even a light Limud of listening to another sheer to work on our growth in Avodah Hashem. So before we get to our episode of Half Torah today, I wanted to just give a shout out to and recommend a brand new podcast that was launched by one of our avid listeners in London, Rabbi Huda Simon, who just launched his podcast on Parsha, The Jew in You, a consciously Jewish network original. He just um, put out his first episode on Sefer Shemos, on Parsha Shemos. And what I really um, like about this idea for a podcast is that the shear is dedicated to learning the Parsha in a way that you can take something practical. It's about finding the Jew in you and using the Parsha to speak to yourself and to grow, using ideas from the Mepharshim and bringing them to life in a very relatable way. And there's really no better way to learn Parsha than in a way that you could actually grow from it, not just as a story, not just as interesting ideals, but as ways for us to connect to Hashem, to connect to ourselves as Yidin. So you should go take a look at the Jew in you and um, listen to that um, very um, exciting new podcast. But in the meantime, let's take a look at our Haftarah this week, which I've titled very broadly Echoes from Exodus, and that is because we have two different Haftarahs, and I thought the name <laughs> broadly speaks to both. But what we have to see this week, very interestingly, is why we have two very different Haftarahs when you look at the Ashkenazic custom versus looking at the Sephardic custom. So the Haftar for the Ashkenazic custom comes from Yeshayahu, and as we mentioned in the past, Yeshaya is one of the most, I think he probably is the most common, most um, commonly featured Navi for all Haftarah. Most Haftarahs come from Yeshayahu, or at least he's the most commonly featured Navi in Haftarah. And this one comes from Yeshayahu, um, begins with, um, very interestingly, with Perak Chav, um, Chav Zayin, and it goes 
from Chav Zayin Vav, 27.6, and it goes all the way to Chav Gimel Yud Gimel, 23.13. So it skips around, then it goes back to Chav Tes to give us two psukim. Um, so it goes to, goes to to 29 and gives us two psukim, Chav Bez and Chav Gimel. So a very uh, strange arrangement of psukim, and likely the reason why that's done is because in Haftarah we make an effort to end on a positive note, which is a principle that we find from Chazal, that we, we try to end things on a positive note. Um, there, there are various Gemaras that talk about that. So that's the custom that we have for the, the uh, Ashkenazic Haftarah, whereas the Svartic Haftarah is taken from Yermia, who we alluded to earlier. It's from the first parak of Yermia, and it, go, and it goes all the way to the second parak, the third Pusik. So it goes from 1 1 to 2 3. And the discussion about the Haftarah for Parsha Shmos, I think, for the reason that we just mentioned, is a very curious one, considering that, once again, there are two Haftarahs. And we've mentioned that in the past, there has been a diverging path between Ashkenazic and Sephardic customs in previous Haftaras, but none quietly, none quite um, dramatically different than these two, um, considering that Haftaras in the past, which, which once again were um, slightly different passages, at least they overlapped. Rever Parshas Vayetze, Ashkenaz and Sephard both have a Haftara from Hosea, and the two at least overlapped. And similarly, when it came to Parshas Vayera, the, the Haftaras were from, they're both from Malachim Beis, but they at least, uh, and, 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 and the stories were the same, but there was just a question of the stopping point. Here, we have two completely different Nevi'im. Yishayahu on the one hand and Yirmiyahu on the other. I would say that perhaps Yirmiyahu is maybe the second most featured um, Navi um, for Haftarah. I believe that is the case. Um, but yeah, we have them both here. And the question is why we have these two very different traditions. So um, I'll mention also parenthetically that the Svardic Haftarah for Yirmiyah is a section that is also shared with the Ashkenazic Haftarah for Parshas Pinchas or Matas, depending on the calendar year. Um, the, the first parak of Yirmiyah happens to be the, uh, the beginning of the Tlasa de Paranusa. What are the Tlasa de Paranusa? You're going to have to wait till later in the year till we get to the end of Sefer Bamidbar to talk about what exactly that Haftarah series is about. But just so you know that we have that Haftarah um, being read possibly more than once a year, according to the Sephardic custom, as it would seem. But let's talk about why we have these two different Haftarahs. One question that I'm not going to answer because I'm not even sure I have the answer is how... It happens that Ashkenazic and Sephardic um, customs ended up reading very different Haftaras. We're going to talk about how the two Haftaras connect, but where it got lost, so to speak, in tradition, that all of a sudden Ashkenaz said, okay, we're going to read this passage, and Sephard said, we're going to read this passage. To me, that is unknown. So if you do know the answer to that question, how the two Haftaras ended up diverging the way they did, so you can reach out to me at the database at gmail.com. It's the data then base B-E-I-S at gmail.com. If you have an answer to that question, how the Ashkenazic and Sephardic customs broke off in such a far way on this particular Haftarah. Also, by the way, same place to reach out to me if you want to partner up with us here with a sponsorship, if you have questions, comments, concerns, recommendations, or you want to join the database podcast WhatsApp group for 
updates and links for every uploaded shear. So you can reach out to me at thedatabase at gmail.com, thedatabase, B-E-I-S at gmail.com. But anyway, let's continue with our discussion here. So Sefer Shemos famously revolves around the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, otherwise known as the Exodus from Egypt. But as it is not only the focal point of Sefer Shemos, but one of the bases of the entire Jewish religion, naturally the Exodus would be referenced time and time again throughout Tanakh, whether explicitly or implicitly. And of course it is. The discussion of the Exodus appears several times, um, countless times I would say throughout Tanakh. Within the Navi alone, there's perhaps a large plethora of viable passages that could have fit the role of the Haftarah for Sefer Shemos. And between the Ashkenazic and Sephardic traditions, only the two that we have were selected. So with that, we have to wonder what we normally do, as we would for any Haftarah, and that is, what makes the respective readings from Yeshayahu and Yirmiyahu the best selections for the Haftarah of Shemos? Why couldn't we pick any other reading that referenced the... Uh, the, the Exodus, right? Um, you know, there, there, there's perhaps, uh, I can argue, readings from other parshios that we could have gone with. So, or I should say other, other, other Nevi'im that we could have gone with. Um, if, if you want a list, I can give them to you. I'm not going to exhaust you with them right now. But just, uh, but just so you can know that the, the Tzitz Mitzrayim is something that comes up all the time. But not only do we have that challenge that we normally have, which is to try to see where the Haftarah reflects and complements and perhaps even can supplement the Parsha, but the unique challenge that's presented for this Sidra of Shemos is what the point of contention is between the two varying customs. Again, I don't know why the Ashkenazic tradition ended up with its reading and the Svartic tradition ended up with its reading, but what I could tell you is between the two Avtaros, what does each Haftarah do that the other one does not? That's something I think is worth our discussion. The fact that there are two different customs implies that there are two different perspectives or preferences between the passages insofar as what each one was looking for in a Haftarah for Parsha Shemos. So what is the selection from Yishayahu highlighting about our Sidra that no other portion of Navi could do better? And conversely, for the Sephardic tradition, what light does the beginning of Yirmiyahu shed on Parsha Shemos that we won't recognize from the alternative reading from Yishayahu? So let's start off with the Ashkenazic custom, which once, once again comes from Yishayahu, um, Parak Chav Zayin, a little bit of, of uh, Parak Chav Gimel, and a little bit of Parak Chav Tess. So in the early and late 20s in Yishayahu. So selecting a Haftarah about the Egyptian exile and Exodus would be difficult enough, as we've explained, considering how frequently these concepts appear throughout Navi. Yet, if one looks at the actual Ashkenazic Haftarah from Yishayahu, there is an astonishingly not so much there about the Exodus at all. The reading contains a lyrical prophecy addressing the Bnei Israel, probably concerning the onset of the Babylonian exile, talking about the Bnei Israel, how they would take root, that they will be mashrish, they will take root and they will blossom, and the Navi lets them know that despite what the nation would endure, they would eventually be atoned for. In only two verses in the entire Haftarah, Egypt is referenced explicitly, yes, but really in passing. As the Navi says in Parachov Beis, Pasuk Yud Beis to Yud Gimel, it says, Yachbod Hashem, Mishibolas Hanahar, Anachal Mitzrayim, Ve'atem, 
um, to look to la la chada echad b'nei Israel uvau ha'ovdim be'eretz Ashur v'anidachim be'eretz Mitzrayim v'ishtachavu la Hashem b'har hakodesh b'irushalayim, which means Hashem will thresh from the surging river to the brook of Egypt, and you will be collected one by one b'nei Israel. Skip a little bit, and those lost in the land of Assyria will arrive, and those outcast in the land of Egypt, and they will. The, they'll prostrate themselves to Hashem on the holy mountain in Yerushalayim. And that's all it is. And as beautiful and perhaps important to the text as these verses are, they are the only references to Egypt in the entire Haftarah, and they are not even about the Exodus from generations prior. So the question is, what integral message of Shemos does Yeshaya really highlight in this passage, and how does it get that message across? So although Yeshaya does not explicitly describe its Yes Mitzrayim, if one looks closely at the Haftarah, one might notice that it does feature what we might refer to as echoes from the Exodus, as the onset of this later-day exile. Because right, if we're paying close enough attention, we'll pick up on these, what I'll call, subliminal reminders of our story. Right, this is something that we've done in the past in our Haftarah series, and that is to look closer for the hidden and maybe a little bit more explicit shout-outs to the Parsha that we are reading that Shabbos. So, for example, the Navi begins obscurely by saying that something is coming. If you look in Chav Zayin Vav, it says, Haba'im Yashresh Yaakov. They are coming when Yaakov will take root. Now, while according to the simple explanation, it means that the days are coming when Yaakov will take root, but I believe that this verse can also be referenced to the opening verse in Shemos, which states that the children of Yaakov were Habaim in Mitzrayim. They were coming to Egypt. Right, this, this point is important because many point out that when they were on their way into Egypt, so one of the keys to their eventual geula was to always see themselves as not having arrived, but to always be comers. They are still coming. Right? The, um, th- this is important because um, if we get comfortable in Gaulus as someone who has came and arrived to plant themselves and to stay, which is one of the things that's eerie about the Haftarah. It says they were being mashed, they were taking root, which is something that we do worry about. We don't want to take roots so tightly in Gullus. But if we see ourselves as in the middle of coming, reminding ourselves that we are a gayrim, that is already our ticket to um, getting out of Gullus. So perhaps that's being referenced here. And if we keep reading, we might also notice some other clues. For example, how the Navi describes Hashem attacking farmland with his strong wind in Pasukhas, which is perhaps reminiscent of the wind which brought in the locusts to attack the food supply during the plagues, which we'll see later in Sefer Shemos, or how the Navi threatens the complacent Israelites of the northern kingdom that they would suffer literally from barad, hail, or mayim kabirim shotfim, the might of flooding waters, which are two of the greatest wonders which Hashem smote Egypt with. So, there are certainly concrete textual connections between our text of the Haftarah and the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, but perhaps the most telling one can be understood um, at the end of the Haftarah, when the Navi declares that the same Hashem who had redeemed Avraham would redeem the nation of Yaakov, quite similar to the way Hashem told Moshe that as he was always there for the Avos, he would continue to be there for the Bnei Israel even in their current exile, something that... Um, Hashem tells Moshe in Perak Vav, Pasuk Beis of Shmos. Now, once we begin to appreciate the echoes of the Exodus in Yeshaya, the only explicit references to Egypt in this passage, which 
we've mentioned above become a little bit more meaningful as well. Because if we think about it, just as Hashem told Moshe at the Sneh, the burning bush, that the Bnei Israel would one day leave Egypt and worship their creator at Har Chariv at Har Sinai, the Navi actually says here in our Haftarah, at the onset of the Babylonian exile, that the Bnei Israel, who have been spread out yet again, through Assyria and Egypt, through Mitzrayim, they would one day return to worship Hashem once again, but this time on a different mountain, on Hashem's Har Kodesh, His Har Kodesh, His holy mountain in Yerushalayim. So we have that parallel between Har Sinai and Har Hamoriah. Considering this portion as a Haftar for Shemos, what might we conclude then is Yishayahu's takeaway message for this Sidra? Right, using the Haftarah as a reflection on the Parsha. So if we think about the connection we've mentioned between the opening verse of this Haftarah and the Sidra, the concept of a nation that is coming, we um, mentioned and we, we referenced that it's noteworthy and somewhat odd that the Bnei Sarah were already in Egypt since Parsha's Vayigash, and yet Shmos tells us once again that they were coming. However, with the help of the Navi, we might suggest that while, yes, the children of Yaakov were already in Egypt, geographically speaking, in fact, it was in Parsha Shemos when Bnei Yaakov had truly arrived and begun taking root in Egypt as a family, from which point they would eventually blossom into Hashem's holy nation who became the Bnei Israel. But what really marked that change? What in Shemos made them take root where they had not done so before? I think the answer is that Shemos marked the true beginning of their Egyptian exile, which not only necessitated an eventual exodus, but was a spiritual prerequisite for the exodus. Thus, through Ishayel's prophecy, we're taught that we ought to see and appreciate not just the Egyptian exile, but all exiles, as being not merely a form of painful subjugation and punishment for the Bnei Israel, which on some level it is, but as the proverbial soil through which the Bnei Israel would take root and ultimately blossom, as a strong and treasured nation to Hashem. It is our proving ground. Right? We, we were put in Egypt to be avodim as slaves so that we can learn to be avodim, avodim to Hashem. We were put there into the iron crucible so that we can come out as a beautiful, precious jewel. Thus implies Ishaya in this fascinating Haftarah choice. That takes care of the Ashkenazic Haftarah. Now let's take a look at the Sephardic Haftarah. So the Svarad custom, once again, is Yirmiyah, the very first parak in the beginning of the second parak. And now that we have a better understanding of the Haftarah from Yishayah, let's try to understand the alternative choice from Yirmiyah. Unlike the reading from Yishayah, this Haftarah from Yirmiyah does make explicit reference, direct reference to the actual event of Yitzhak Mitzrayim itself, with the famous verse that we say in Rosh Hashanah, Zacharti lach chesed niorayach, avas kluyasayach lechtech acharai b'midbar b'eretz lazeroh. I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your marriages when you followed me into a desert, into a wilderness, wilderness in a land that's not sown. The problem, though, is that this is the only one verse at the very end of the Haftar that references anything from our Sefer, from our Parsha. Moreover, this verse only takes place at the beginning of the text of Yirmiyah's actual speech. The bulk of the Haftarah itself does not revolve around the Bnei Yisrael's exodus at all. So the question is, what is the actual Haftarah about? The Haftarah begins with the selection of Yirmiyah as the Navi to address the Bnei Yisrael, similar to Yishayahu, actually, at the onset of the Babylonian exile, However, unlike the Haftarah from Yeshayah, which features the Navi's prophetic monologue, the beginning of Yirmiyah features a dialogue 
in which Hashem charges Yirmiyah with the responsibility of admonishing the Bnei Israel. And as such, the text here focuses much less on the nation as it does on the Navi, Yirmiyah himself. The Haftar reflects on Yirmiyah's qualms about the mission, about his role in that mission. And the question is, why is this conversation between Hashem and Yirmiyah a viable choice? Why is it a candidate at all for the Haftar for Shmos? And to answer this question, some have explained, and notably Art Scrolls Stone Edition Chumash, that in many ways, Hashem's selection of Yirmiyah parallels Hashem's selection of Moshe Rabbeinu as it's presented at length in Shemos, in our Parsha. Both of Yirmiyah and Shemos were what we might call reluctant prophets. Each one not confident in his ability to speak. Hashem reassures each of them that he will be with them. We might also suggest that like Moshe Rabbeinu, Yirmiyah also received visual signs from Hashem in preparation for his mission. Of course, there are some important key differences between Moshe and Yirmiyah. For example, Moshe is charged to go encourage and ultimately free the Bnei Israel from their exile, while Yirmiyah is charged to do the exact opposite, to rebuke them and to warn them about the oncoming exile. Moreover, while Moshe apparently had some kind of speech impediment, Yirmiyah, as is testified in the Navi, was a prophet from the womb. He was endowed with a special ability to speak directly by the hand of Hashem. Either way, if one is looking for echoes from Exodus, like we mentioned in the previous Haftar selection, so if you're looking for those echoes here to draw connections between the Sidra and the Haftar section, um, so they're certainly there. That this, uh, this Haftar selection has those textual cues that remind us and those thematic cues that remind us of the Parsha. The moral of either story is that whatever the mission may be, no matter what capabilities Hashem has endowed a person with, a servant of Hashem has to have confidence and faith in the mission that Hashem has charged him with, as well as the courage to overcome the challenges that the mission entails, knowing that Hashem will always be there with him. And even if the worst has yet to come, the Navi provides a silver lining as Yermia opens his, his first speech to the Bnei Israel with a reminder about the exodus from Egypt, the young love that they had shared with Hashem so long ago meaning even if things are about to get darker than they were in times of yore, but there were those times of yore that we can look back to and say, you know what, it was, it was a good to yore. And, 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 we'll, and we can look forward to a good to yore in the future, um, to, to, to have a geula to come. So there, there, there is that takeaway from the, uh, you know, from, from the Haftarah. But what I want to now look at now that we've seen both Haftaras, I want to look at the conversation, if you will, between Ishaya and Yermia. Not the literal conversation, but the conversation between the two Haftaras selections. Because I think there are really two voices that are echoed in these echoes of the Exodus. Now that we've seen both of the wonderful versions of the Haftarah for Parshishimos, what can we make of the differences between the perspectives and directions of the two traditions? So what I want to suggest is that the Ashkenazic Haftarah choice presents subtle imagery of the Exodus as the Navi addresses the Bnei Israel concerning the oncoming exile, which the Navi implies is the spiritual proving ground for nationhood. That was the Navi of Yishayahu. That was the Nevuah of Yishayahu. Now the Sephardic Haftarah choice projects the background story that's happening behind the scenes, the challenges of Moshe Rabbeinu through the later-day Navi, an emissary in Yermia, who recalls the Exodus in the beginning of his mission. 
From a broader view, it seems that between these two Haftaras, we have echoes from Exodus emerging from two different voices. But each of the voices actually complements one another, presenting a different side of the same coin in the larger story of Shemos. Because one voice addresses the perspective of the people, the nation, the other addresses the challenges of their acting leader. But both voices teach lessons about our role in exile and preparing for an eventual redemption. As a people, we have to stay strong and understand the spiritual necessity of grueling challenges that exist in our exile, realize that we will one day blossom spiritually because of them. And on the other hand, as individual leaders, as all of us in our own way are, we each have a responsibility to serve as Hashem's emissary to the people around us, to care for Hashem's people and convey His message to them, as difficult as it may sometimes be. At the end of the day, Shmos really tells these two stories, one about the Bnei Yaakov, Haba'im, Mitzrayimah, who are still coming into their land of Galas, and one about the concerns of their leader. But each of them, the nation and its leaders, were chosen by Hashem. Bini Bechari Yisrael on the one hand, Moshe Rabbeinu, and all of the subsequent Nevi'im on the other. Each of them has a spiritual destiny to live up to, as we'll see in the coming Sidros. But if there's anything to take away from these two Avteros, I would say it's the recognition of the dual responsibility that we have as Bnei Yisrael on the one hand, um, and emissaries of Hashem on behalf of the Bnei Yisrael. Right? As the uh, Gemara in Nidarim describes the role of the Kohanim. Are we Shluche Dimakam or Shluche Dedan, Shluchim of the Bnei Israel? Right? So we are servants of Hashem. We are representatives of the Bnei Israel. We are emissaries of both. And although the task of Galas is a daunting one, together the Bnei Israel and their holy leaders will walk each other through it, take on all its challenges. And as promised, Hashem will carry us all towards that final gula. So it should be zocha to thrive and endure the ravages of Golis, both spiritually and physically, blossom forth as Hashem's treasured people, as is referenced in Yishayo. And we should each rise up to the challenge as Hashem's emissaries to enable one another, like Moshe Rabbeinu and Yirmiya. And Hashem should bring us all forward, people and leaders alike, to the times of that gula and the coming of Mashiach from Herb Have an absolutely wonderful Shabbos. Thank you for joining us here at the database.